Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. Hi, I'm here with Sam Carrington. Thanks for being here, Sam. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So why don't I let you start by just introducing yourself? Well, I've been in Hong Kong 26 years, single with a backpack, and now it's become sort of, you know, a container, two children, husband, no dog anymore, unfortunately. It's a lot more sort of heading back to the UK than it is than what I came with. My children were both born here. We're all permanent residents. I come from the north of England originally and educated at university in London, which was pretty unusual, really, for my family because nobody really went to university. So I was one of the first to sort of head that way. Let's start at the beginning, as they say. So, so you brought that up. I, and I think what's interesting for us as parents in 2021 is that so many of us are, are bringing up our children in a way that we could never have imagined, which is so very different from the way that we were brought up. So could you just tell us a little bit about your own upbringing to start with? I come from a small mining town in the middle of Derbyshire, working class family, pretty much like everybody in the village. We all just went to the infants and juniors. We went to the local scout hut for playgroup. And then we progressed through to the senior school. So what age did you start school? I think it was around five, but there was playgroups before then, which which was sort of around three. Right. So which is quite surprising, probably, to quite a lot of parents listening. So what did you do in terms of for your education before you reached the age of five? Well, my parents worked, so we were passed around. My mum shared a job with somebody else. One did mornings, one did afternoons. Nobody had a car. We walked to be able to then swap parents, to then walk back to the other parents' house. And we hung out with friends or family. And that was normal, right? No one that found that normal. surprising. We played outside. Mm. You know, we played in the yard. We, we ran around in fields. Even at really young age, we had, you know, bikes. But obviously, it was always a safe environment. But we played out the back of the houses. It was just, you know, you spent a lot of time with grandparents. You spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with my dad's sister and spent a lot of time with her. I mean, there were always things that we were doing at home that you look back now and you think that was educational because we did arts and crafts, we did jigsaws, we baked. And it was all free. And it was all free. (laughs) And it was all fun. Right. So you said you were the first in your family to go to uni. Yeah. So how did that come about? Surprising to a lot of people, I actually trained as a hairdresser. I then realised I didn't actually really nothing like it. Nothing wrong with it. being a hairdresser. There's my father was a hairdresser. Absolutely nothing wrong with being a hairdresser. It just wasn't Why is that for surprising? Me. I don't know. Because you didn't Just because I don't really like continue and it just wasn't for me. I actually liked the theory side more than I did actually doing hair. And then I went travelling quite extensively. And was that normal in your friend group? No, completely abnormal. There was nothing normal about going travelling. What was it that got into you that thought, you know, took you off into your travels? 
I just thought perhaps that there was a lot more out there in the world than what I'd been brought up. I don't know. I just got this, I need to travel. I think what started it is I went into railing with my three friends from school, where you buy a train ticket and you go around Europe. But do you think there's something innate? Because I did the same, right? But do you think there's something in, is it genetic? Is it innate? Is nothing in your upbringing that, that planted the seed? But no, then you just nothing. felt there was something more than the small town in Derbyshire. And yeah, I just yeah. felt there were things to see. I like adventures and obviously in those days there was no googling where where to go it was all I loved I I like reading I love books I had a collection of Lonely Planet guidebooks did your parents read to you as a child they did my mum did my mum always tells me that I could read before I started school because she used to read a lot in fact she used to say no you read to me so we would read together so she did so you went traveling and you ended up in Hong Kong in 1996. So so just for for those that are not familiar with with Hong Kong what what was Hong Kong like in 1996 briefly for you for me very different kind of a big culture shock because I'd not come this far I'd done Europe I'd been in the Middle East I hadn't quite come this far obviously it was the old airport so it was that oh scary amazing but (laughs) scary landing into Hong Kong coming out of the airport and these big high-rises with clotheslines hanging outside windows and was like wow and then pretty much heading onto the island, and which is all I thought existed for a long, long, long time. A lot of people think that about <laughs> Hong Kong. Do you remember how you felt? Were you scared or were you excited? Or I was excited because at that time I'd sort of just got a new boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he, now my husband. So he came to Hong Kong with you or you met him? He came first. Oh, he came first. Yes, I was still at university finishing, so I was backwards and forwards for so a while. So he had a softer landing. Yes. Okay. So at least I had somebody here that I sort of knew and took me around. And I think we just went to a British pub and the first, he wanted to like do the culture a little bit slowly. So we're here to talk primarily about parenting. So it's always interesting, I think, to hear about how people were brought up themselves. So talk us through, you know, you had two children born here. When were they born? My oldest was born in 2002 and youngest in 2005. So they're currently 19 and 16. Right. And I often hear you talk about your oldest as your adult child. <laughs> Does it for you, has it, has it literally, is the cliche true? Does it just fly by? Yes. And it's really, it's really strange. He seemed to have those younger years seem to like, oh, I think just because of the phases and, you know, it's challenging as a parent. And then sort of that sort of middle bit, sort of like you tick along for a while. But as soon as they get to about, well, teenagers, I think, it's just like, woof, gone. I agree. And I think I was just talking to a friend earlier yesterday that it's just nice. It's no longer difficult. Well, the different challenges, sometimes we've talked talk between ourselves. We can get onto that later. Big children big problems small children small problems but that it is different it's easier I, I find it easier for sure I do want to talk to you a little bit about perhaps older years like tweens and, and teens and even adulthood because I think a lot of the parents listening will have very very young children so it's interesting to know what to expect so just choosing a school for them in Hong Kong just talk us through that briefly I mean, I guess it's one of the reasons why you set up top scores is there was just not much information. And sort of back then, there wasn't as much on the internet. I can't even remember when I stopped. I had dial-up in the in the early days, you know, when the TV used to stop at one o'clock and there was, there was nothing and no access to information. So there wasn't really much around. It was sort of chatting to friends. Back in those days as well, I was a member of the football club and sort of I used to go to their little play groups and sort of just to try and meet other parents and they had sort of informal like parent and toddler groups and it was just chatting to other people and trying to listen I mean I I knew absolutely nothing I mean I always felt 
slightly a bit of an outsider of being this working class girl, you know, amongst all of these quite successful people that seemed to have it together and know what they were doing. Were people in your friend circle at that time, do you think they were here on sort of expat contracts? We were all expat, pretty much expat contracts. Including your husband? Yes. Yes. I was kind of one of the first to have children as well, so it wasn't like I'd got a lot of my friends were ahead of me with children and schooling. So most of what I was trying to sort of figure out was sort of networking at events. Had you figured out the decision between going to a, a local free school and paying private? Do you know, I wish I knew then what I know now because there was never even any talk of, of local school because my children didn't speak Chinese. So, and, and that's how it felt. I know now that it's different and that we, that we can, you know, put our children into local school. But I never even really, truly back then understood that we even could have that opportunity. With hindsight, what do you, I mean, I know it's impossible to say, but do you think you might have taken that plunge? Yes, especially now, sort of the way that my adult children are their directions I think perhaps she might have a little bit of I wish I could speak Cantonese in fact I think she would love to be able to have that skill she can learn but obviously it's more difficult different different learning experience as an adult so two very different children for my older one I think having that Cantonese skill would have been really really good for her So what school did you choose for your children? My children started ESF. We moved to Clearwater Bay when I was pregnant with my younger child. We were not that far away from Abacus. And obviously because I was moving that way, I'd been chatting to friends that were moving out. In those days, there wasn't that much else around in Clearwater Bay. So I applied for ESF and the ESF journey started. And do you think that was sort of similar to the sort of preschool or you, you didn't have a preschool experience, but the sort of playgroup style that you'd had growing up? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked sort of Abacus because it had outside area and that, that was which important to, to me, which I... Which I come to sort of understand when I was chatting to other parents that had gone off to other kindergartens. Having outdoor space was quite a luxury in Hong Kong. We were quite lucky and it had sand pits, it had climbing frames, it had all the things that I'd sort of had at playgroup. Do you remember how diverse was it at the time? For my oldest, it was not as diverse as it became when my second daughter... Right, so in just a few years, which was yes. how many years later? Two, three. Mm. Was it diverse at all for your eldest? It wasn't, it wasn't as diverse. I, and I've noticed that as a theme all the way through, that that three-year difference has been a lot more diverse three years later. Okay, so ESF, and you really are a, an ESF success story, I would say. So two children all the way through, almost all the way through. So, so talk us through, they went to Clearwater Bay Primary School. Clearwater Bay Primary and then KG5. And then KG5. So what do you think, you know, what, what has the ESF programme, in what ways has it been successful for both of your children? Then we can maybe talk about... I think... Having an older child who wasn't so wanting to push towards exams, it wasn't going to be a thing that really worked. And I know she won't mind me saying it, it wasn't really going to work for her. I liked the fact that ESF embraced other programs like the BTEC programs. 
But this is much later on. You're talking about more recently. But yes, yeah, so the whole, you're saying the whole culture of ESF is is not a pushy one, and it's not just about the grades. Is that fair to say? No, I, I think they're about the grades later on. But I like the way that the children explore themselves and are comfortable to put their hands up and and and, and are comfortable to be able to say that's not quite for me. I think there is a general all-rounded child that, as the academics are pushed, but they're allowed to explore other options. When my oldest child was in primary school, that's when they made the switch from the key stage to IB over to the PYP. So I did notice a little bit of change there where it became more of the inquiry based Mm -hmm. projects, which I actually quite liked in the in the primary years. How was that transition for her? I don't think I even really noticed that much change over. It's just the way that they were doing things. And then the school sort of evolved and they started doing a lot of project work and there was a lot of development in the school where it used to be quite little classrooms in a row. Like the year one, for example, I think they took the doors away and had more of a big shared area. So the classrooms kind of like one year, one unit that all came out to one big area. So they were not sort of enclosed within the classrooms. There was a lot more coming out and more room for like collaborations and project work than being, you know, in a classroom with the door closed with one teacher and their classmates. So all the way through, your daughter, your younger daughter had some support. Yes. Yeah, tell us about that. Sort of noticed a little bit in kindergarten that perhaps some support was needed, but she sort of ticked over into Clearwater Bay School and into the primary years and just noticed that sometimes things were just, you know, sometimes I guess you could say maybe she was daydreaming or she just wasn't kind of engaging, but I got a lot of help and support and a lot of extra and did they pick, did the teachers pick up on that? Yes. yes. So that it was a it was a call in and have a chat and then they put things in place. There was extra support. And presumably you embraced all suggestions for giving yes, that extra support. Yes, of course. Support. And then different teachers, different teaching styles. They all had different methods of how to give support. You know, it must be hard. It's challenging. You've got a, you've got a group of children and you've got a child that needs different needs and trying to meet them. So she did go out into like smaller groups and get some help. By the time she got to year six, she had an excellent year six teacher who really embraced everything that she was about. He had her in in, in his own time, reading with her at lunchtime, having her in early in the morning and doing things with her because I was incredibly worried about the big step from year six to year seven. And even though it's within the same group, this small village school, which is a big step to going to like KG5. And I was really, really worried. Um, My heart was breaking for her because I just remember that first day because she's always been so small and I was petrified and she loved it. And they put so much in place for her and extra support. And she didn't do any languages to give her more room to have extra help. She started off not in mainstream maths and English. And then by the time it got to the end of year seven, eight, she was all back into into mainstream school, which was through their sheer hard work, dedication, help, and and the incredible amount of help of a year six teacher. He just prepped her and prepped the school and got every single piece of support that he could to get her on that journey to give her a good start. Is he still there? I think he's still within the group, but not still at Clearwater Bay. That's amazing. That's that's really good to hear. So let's just wrap this up for schooling. So the eldest and the, both both your girls, where are they now? 
The youngest child has just finished year 11, so she's just had the two years of the crazy online, offline GCSEs, IGCSEs, and the oldest is at university in the UK. Doing? Bachelor of Science in Sports Coaching. And just, she was able to do a combination of BTEC with a couple of IB courses, right? Yeah, I mean, at that time, I was sort of looking, perhaps A-levels might be more suitable because IB, for her, didn't seem kind of a right fit. A lot of different subjects and exams and keeping maths was a huge challenge. I'm I'm not the greatest and they have to. They have to. I mean, I just heard a story the other day of a child that was applying to university and for some strange reason had omitted a maths GCSE and had to go back and do it at that point. But then there was the BTEC Sport RAN KG5. They needed, obviously, to fill a timetable, they needed other subjects added in. So what she ended up doing was BTEC Sport. She added on a BTEC Media because she'd already done the media before. The reason that we looked at A-levels is was because she loves geography. Standing in a stream in the middle of China, be, you know, seems to be her thing. Um, and... <laughs> So, yeah, so we were looking at sort of A-level geography, but then we couldn't tag anything else on that she thought might, she might like to do, apart from obviously like an A-level sport. But then we, I found out that she could actually do the IB part of geography. So she just did the standard level geography, BTEC media, and then full BTEC sport level three. And it wasn't just to fill up the timetable. Presumably she gets UCAS points. She got, yeah, she got UCAS yeah. points. Did she need those UCAS points? Yes, she yes. did, because the BTEC, unfortunately, just because of, of, of numbers of people picking the course, the school couldn't run the full level three extended, which gives you the full wide. But I think it's so interesting that parents tend to be quite sort of narrow-minded about sorts of courses that their children must take. I mean, they start planning, you know, they start planning this when their children are two and three years old. But there are wider variety of options available than, than we might at first think. I think this is an interesting sort of case study of that. And so, Shane, obviously, both of your girls have experienced COVID. I mean, very briefly, can we just ask, you know, for, for your youngest, she was going through the GCSEs, IGCSEs, how, how did COVID affect that? She coped incredibly well. There was a great online programme, even when they were going backwards and forwards and having to go to school in the morning and then come back and then get back online. It was tight. I mean, she just really embraced it and it worked and it actually worked for her. I actually think she was a lot more focused because there was just something about the online learning that just worked for her. I mean, she found it incredibly lonely at times and isolating and, you know, having to wave to everybody on camera. But she was always the one that wanted to have a, you know, a lot of children just I've noticed would, you know, even with friends that are teachers of how do I get everybody to put the camera on? But she was always one that wanted the camera on and, and wanted to be engaged with everybody. It's now a good time to mention she's actually pursuing a career in TV. <laughs> She'd love a career in TV. <laughs> <laughs> if she could swap places with Holly Willoughby. So I might I be worried if she didn't want to put her camera on. <laughs> yeah, no, but maybe that's it. She just wanted that camera on. Yeah, she's a great kid. I mean, we did, she did a, a little YouTube video for us. She interviewed a bunch of kids a couple of months ago. Maybe we'll put a link to she that. She loved it. And she was fantastic. So almost wrapping up, with hindsight, what would you have done differently, do you think? What might have you done differently? Really had a look and pursued maybe the early years in local school, the Cantonese skills. 
Youngest, actually, when she was in sort of year one, year two, in, in those days, I'd, I'm not quite sure how it is now, but the ESF had the three pathways, one, two, three, and sort of obviously three being native. She was in pathway two. That's Mandarin though, right? Yes, not with Mandarin. Mandarin. Yeah. So I, d- I don't know. I mean, she struggled. I mean, she, you know, diagnosis, mildly dyslexic, and she sort of struggled with, with phonetics and putting words together. But with the Chinese writing and the Chinese yeah. was so different that she seemed to be flying that way and that, that side of her brain, I don't know if that's... I mean, she dances, she likes the drama, it's the arts side. Dyslexia for, for Chinese is an interesting area. There's there's a couple of ladies in Hong Kong that do research on that. Again, maybe we'll, we'll link to it, but um, being dyslexic in, in English doesn't necessarily carry over um, to being dyslexic in Chinese because, like you say, it's so very, very different. And seeing it more as pictures than as yeah. a phonetic... Okay, so that's, you know, it's all hindsight is a wonderful thing, but <laughs> we cannot rewind the clock. I want I want to ask you a little bit about older children, you know, when they hit, is, is tweens, is that really a thing? And following on from that, do you think that being a teenager in Hong Kong, well, I know it's very different than being a teenager perhaps back in the UK where you, you were brought up, um, but what issues that, that came up for you during the tween and the teen years for your girls? I think I I was more worried about when my oldest went off to university. It's so relatively safe and we see Hong Kong as a very safe city. Heading off to the north of England, I was worried about streetwise. I mean, I I wouldn't think about walking around. You wouldn't think about walking around at 10 o'clock in the evening as a teenager with your phone in your hand and your handbag on your shoulder and be walking through. Do you think that your girls grew up in a bit of a bubble? I think it has been a little bit of a bubble. Maybe sometimes you entitled, privileged. Sure. Yeah. And do you have those conversations with the girls? Have you had the conversations about that? I know that I have with mine. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think children growing up in Hong Kong and schooling in Hong Kong are incredibly lucky. And there's no disrespect to any of my parents or my upbringing. But I'm kind of glad my children have had that schooling. And I'm pleased that they've grown up in this environment. Same. And do they appreciate it? Do they understand what you went through to put them through all of that? Sometimes I don't think not. And that may be sometimes a little bit frustrating. But, you know, we all have that from a generation, right? I'm sure my grandparents would say he had to walk to school 10 miles barefoot (laughs) through six fields in the snow, you know, with only a loaf of bread. So we're all going to say you don't know how tough we had, had it. But isn't it a privilege from speaking personally as a parent, I feel that it's a privilege to be able to provide those sorts of experiences for the children. But also at the same time, in, in so doing, we have to have those conversations about them. They have to see it in context that there are others out there that, that grow up so very differently. But I think some of those teen years can be a little bit eye rolling. Why are you telling me this? This is my life. And... I don't know. Sometimes it's just not understanding it. And it's like, well, this is my life. And I also think there's that whole thing about the third culture children as well. Interesting. And, yeah. And I think only Hong Kong, I think only Hong Kong people only get Hong Kong people. And especially when the teens, are, you know, they will migrate towards, you know, they go off to university in the UK, they will migrate towards their friends that they had in Hong Kong or maybe speak to those quite often because and I know that they do because only a only a Hong Kong kid gets a Hong Kong kid or do you think they understand like other 
expat children that grew up in different countries and I think they can probably relate to it but I think Hong Kong Hong Kong's got its own you know perhaps growing up in Europe you I, I don't know whether you could maybe badge Europe together as, as that's how you you know you you know Europe you know growing up in Europe but I think growing up in Hong Kong's got it's it's quite unique I think it all is about do they appreciate it? I think perhaps some of the teen years can be quite quite challenging, but perhaps further down the line they will look back and realise how lucky they are. Totally. That's what I hope. Yeah, we, ho- we all hope that. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about success? I mean, as parents, we often say, and, and culturally, I think this is an interesting conversation. So you grew up in Derbyshire and your children went to ESF, which is an English-speaking school, which is a little bit of a bubble, right? It's not the norm in Hong Kong, for sure. Um, and also culturally, you wanted your children to, you know, jump in puddles and, and get dirty and fall down and all of the rest of that that might be a bit different with a lot of other parents in Hong Kong especially Asian parents I I always say that what binds us all together as parents is we all want our children to be happy some people say happy and successful and then I would, would like to ask you Sam what's your definition of success for your children for them to be happy and healthy and find where they want to be in life and who they want to be for me personally 10 A stars at GCSE has never ever been my focus mm. in in how I wanted my children to grow and go through their education it was I was never fighting for that you know you've got to have ECAs every five minutes of the day and to be going through that you know they played rugby they danced they played outside they played with friends we did a lot in the early days it was you know it was half day kindergarten and then it was meet up with friends and play and mm. go outside and you know we, we grow up in that sort of luxury where people have domestic helpers and then they get together and they take the children out and they have all these experiences and can perhaps go a little further that I mean I was just taken from home you know go from home to home and passed around and, and possibly not so many children to be able to get between people whereas in Hong Kong growing up as children they you know they, they spend a lot of time moving around play dates and, and hanging out with their friends and having mm. shared experience and shared memories and I think you know we all got shared memories with our with our friends but I remember more things being like sort of weekends or Christmas or christenings and it was you know you meet up at special occasions where I think children growing up here they spend a lot of time maybe it's the lack of having you know as an as, as expats growing up with not having as much family around and mm. cousins that mm. your friends become your family and I hope that they've both cemented friends for life and people that will always have their back and people will always get them because they had the same experiences mm. growing up like family and I think that's important. You said that without skipping a beat. Okay tell us a bit about like what are some of the key challenges that you had like raising the kids in Hong Kong over the last like 16-18 years? Was, was there a time where you literally almost just lost it for whatever reason? No, I think I've had it quite relatively easy going through schooling. There was a point where I I questioned whether I was failing them by not doing all of these ECAs or why don't I feel like, you know, I'd I'd listen to other parents and I'd sit there feeling like some someone that was just watching the conversation rather than being involved because I, I, I just couldn't think of it and I felt wrong to be able to say getting an A star is not my end goal. Was that the chat amongst quite a lot of your friends? You feel it, right? I you feel just it. somehow it 
by osmosis, you somehow feel it in the air. I, I, I agree to an extent. And the fact that a lot of people that, you know, Hong Kong draws people from certain backgrounds, certain upbringings True. themselves. I think that's changing. It is changing. But 25 years ago, it was like people were educated to university, went to um, private schooling, boarding so you, school in the UK. Right. And... I hadn't had those experiences either. And I actually remember the first time somebody asked me, where did you go to school? And I never even knew that that was a question. <laughs> I was like, well, the local village school, why? Because they were like, oh, I went to X school or I went to X school was what they, but I had no clue that that's what they were meaning at all. When I first came to Hong Kong, that of course, where did you go to school? Where do you live? Because people are mentally calculating the square foot because they know the buildings, right? So you, you lived in Albany, right? If, if I recall correctly. People know. People know how big is your flat and they know the price per square foot and immediately they're doing their calculations by which to judge you I suppose I feel like that's changing that has changed quite a lot over the last 20 20 something years do you have I think we all have a, an element of, of imposter syndrome slightly <laughs> I, do, I do too I mean you know, you and I have chatted a lot. I, I didn't go to university when I was 18, had to go back later, but I didn't go to a posh private school. And that's why where we started the conversation, I think it's so interesting that our children have had such a different upbringing to us that it's just super interesting. Let me return to something you mentioned about third culture. I mean, I know you said that the kids will, will naturally gravitate towards other Hong Kong children, and that's normal, birds of a feather, etc. But what else do you think, like, how does being a third culture kid, how does that manifest itself? How do you see that in your children? Not being able to find which side of it's like sitting on the fence, right? Of something, it's like, well, I'm British because that's what my passport tells me. A couple of years ago, I took my youngest, she's blonde, she's blue eyes, fair skin. We went to Vietnam on holiday, and a lady said to her, Where are you from? She said, Hong Kong. She said, No, and it goes that whole conversation, yes. No, where are you from? She's like, Hong Kong. She's like, But you're not from Hong Kong. She's like, Yes, I am from Hong How Kong. She's like, where were you born? She's like, Hong Kong. What does your birth certificate say, Hong Kong? Yes, Hong Kong. None <laughs> of your business. And it was like, what passport have you got? She's like, British. Oh, you're, you're from the UK. She's like, no, I'm from Hong Kong. And then she'd moved on. She was just like, oh. And, it, and, and my daughter's like, why do people not believe me? Why? Yes, I'm British, but I was born in Hong Kong. And then it goes in, why can't I, you know, why can't I have a passport? And why do I have to have a British passport? My son had a meltdown when he was about seven in school when he, he really wanted a apply for a Hong Kong passport and I was having to try to explain this to him as a seven-year-old and he lost it he was really really upset he had this he, he still does I think has this strong sense of belonging but it, it's difficult to explain isn't it it is difficult to explain it's, it's like difficult. you're British your passport yeah. tells you that that's your nationality but you were born in Hong Kong you understand but what, what do you about. say as a as a parent as obviously a slightly older person when people ask you the question where are you from what do you say do you know, that's always quite interesting because sometimes you say, oh, I've lived in Hong Kong for 25 years, that's my home now. Or it's like you always start with originally. <sighs> I took my life history. Yeah. Originally I was here and I went to university here. And Okay, yeah, I know. I mean, we all have these, like, where's, where is home? Maybe we should end off by saying that the reason that we, we've asked you to come in today and, and talk to us is that you're leaving. I am. It's time to have a bit of family. So what's next for the children and for yourself? Oldest will continue at university if she ever gets back. 
with the new flights being changed She's again. here currently. She's currently here. She came at Christmas and then four cancelled flights. So she'd just be here until the new term starts. And my youngest will be heading off to sunny Devon for her to go to college. She's excited. She's very excited. Do you think that, I mean, it's hard to predict, do you think it'll be easy transition for her? Going from a private education to a state-run college in the UK is going to be a big challenge, but it's one that she wanted. We've gone all around what, what was the best route for her, and that was her best solution. And it was the course that she wanted to do. Amazing. One piece of advice for parents of very young children, or certainly children younger than yours, what's the one piece of advice that you would pass on? Think... Knowing that some of the challenges that Alana had with going through primary school was that if you do sort of sense that there's something, I know that you always say disclosure is better than discovery. So if your gut instinct tells you that there's something that you think might not be, it's not saying that it's wrong or it's it's a bad thing. There's something that you think that might not be sitting quite right, isn't quite the right words. But you're right. As a parent, I would echo that. I think that, you know advocating for your children in school and in life as a parent you you have an instinct trust trust your instinct yeah and I think one of the if I know you only said one but two and I think these some of the other things is as they get a little little bit older I think just because of the sort of slight expat bubble that they grow up in then just don't become very independent at being able to do things themselves and I sort of noticed that sort of the the teenagers going to university that have been in the UK, they've set up their bank accounts, they've done a lot of things themselves, whereas we kind of run off, run after our teenagers in Hong Kong a little bit, and that's just the, the, the environment they've grown up in, especially having, you know, growing up a lot with um, domestic help. So trying to just let them just be a little bit more independent, and I think actually just letting them maybe sometimes fail a little bit. Oh, of course. Because I think we try and fix too many things. I certainly know that I do. If something's wrong or something's unhappy or something's not right or she was didn't have the blue chair at school or she didn't have the... You'd be wanting to go to the school and say, but she always has that it's chair. And, and it's that letting go and realising when they get to teenagers that you can't also possibly fix every single tear because there will be tears where only they can find their inner self to be able to make right what's wrong. And you can't fix friendships and you can't, you know, there are things that just happen and that's just life. And that aligns with, I know that you have a philosophy of staying out of the class WhatsApp groups. Oh, never would ever do those. And that, I think, is it, it all aligns with <laughs> yeah. the So there are three pieces of advice, three for the price of one. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks. No, thank um, you for having me. Wish you all the best in the UK. Thank you. Keep in touch. We'll miss you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free, useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.